0: starting in verse 24. The sons of Simeon, Nemuel, Jamin, Jerib, Zira, Shal, verse 34, Meshobab, Jamlech, Joshua the son of Amaziah, Joel, Jehu, the son of joshabiah son of Sariah, son of Asiel, Elioni, Jacobah, Jeshahiah, uh, Asahiah, Adiel, Jezmeel, ben, uh Benaiah, Ziza, the son of Shiph, son of Alan, son of Jedi, uh, Jediah, son of Shimri, son of Shemaiah. These mentioned by name were princes in their clans, and their father's houses increased greatly. Now, you're probably wondering, right, <laughs> what a weird passage to start your sermon with. And, and indeed, uh, and I want to start here. Because I I have to uh, make something of a confession, although I think that we all feel it. And that is, there are some passages that are not very interesting. And uh, if you read the first nine chapters of Chronicles, you'll find a lot more of basically this. I mean, like 90% of it is just like names of people that I've never even heard of. Like that's 30, there's 28 names I just read. Simeon is the only one I know. So there's a lot of passages in a Bible like this one, or uh, there's like Joshua. The first half of Joshua is awesome. There's like people fighting and there's angels coming down. It's, just a great, it's a great book. The second half of Joshua is just a lot of places. Like, if you'll turn with me to Joshua 15. Uh, in Joshua 15, I want to read verses 10 and 11. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Joshua 15, verses 10 and 11. It's as if. Uh, they, they hadn't figured out how to, how to draw maps yet, so they just described a map to you. So Joshua 15, verse 10, it says, And the boundary circles west of Bala to Mount Seir, passes along the northern shoulder of Mount Jerim, that is Chesh- uh, Chisalon, and goes down to Beth Bethshemeth and passes along to Timnah. The boundary goes to the shoulder of the hill of Ekron, and the boundary bends to Shikaron and passes to Mount Bala and goes around to Jabneel." then the boundary comes to the end of the sea. And you're like, okay, the sea, I know where that is. Like, there's a lot of places, we, we, don't, we don't know where these are. And so when we read passages like this, and again, like I said, this is the, the, the second half of Joshua is mostly like this. The first nine chapters of Chronicles, so there's a lot of times they're big sections. We're like, I don't know what to do with this. And we get to these and we, we, we ask ourselves the question that we're kind of afraid to ask is like, why do I have to read this? Like, what, what's the point? And uh, while I cannot promise you this morning I'm going to make you love reading nine chapters of genealogies, I I will promise you that by the end of the sermon, you will have an understanding of why these are in here and why they're so important and why when a Jew read them, it would have been uh, even maybe exciting to see in these passages the faithfulness of God. But uh, to answer your question, why do I have to read these in uh, two words? the promises to Abraham. I guess that's three, prom- three words. Abrahamic promises. Uh, but I want to come back at the end of my conclusion to answer more directly what's the point of these and what am I supposed to get from these texts. I want to do this in the correct order. This morning we're going to be talking about the, the promises to Abraham. I've entitled it Watching Them Grow because I truly believe... Uh, I've thought, I've thought a lot about this, as like describing the Bible. I think that the promises to Abraham is the third most significant theme in the Bible. There's who is God, what is the problem of sin and rebellion, and the Abrahamic promises. And I would make the claim that I think the Abrahamic promises are on pretty much every page of the Bible if you know how to look for them. And that as we trace through the Bible this morning, The promise to Abraham. These you know them because you learned them when you were a kid in Bible class. Land, nation, seed. That God said, "I will bring you to a land of promise. I will make your descendants as many as the sands of the sea and the stars of the heaven. And from your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed." These three promises are enormous themes in the Bible, and. Uh, while I think it would be fun to just stand up here and trace themes, I'm not just gonna. I'm not just doing this as like an academic exercise of something that I think would be fun. I think that after we go through these, you're gonna be able to see the Bible uh, in a clarity that will help you to see the faithfulness of God on each page, to see uh, the story as it progresses, to watch these promises of God grow. And each page, each story adds to the overall impression that God is trustworthy, that his promises are true. And so to begin, I want to start with what I believe to be the most significant of the three promises in the Old Testament. And that is the land promise. Now, I think you could honestly tell the entire story of the Old Testament by telling the story of the land promise. So if we'll go to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, we're going to be talking about a lot of passages today. I will try and tell you which ones to turn to and which ones I'm just referencing. But we're turning to Genesis 12. Uh, In Genesis 12, God says, uh, or it says, Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God says, Leave, and you're going to a land I'm going to show you. So we see that Abraham does that. And in verse 7, then the Lord appeared to Abraham once he got there. He said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So Abraham goes out from his his homeland and he gets to Canaan. And God says, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. But we get a little bit of a complication in this. Uh, Not necessarily a complication, but an an additional detail that might have been been important to know uh, at the front end. Uh, In Genesis 15, starting in verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, this is Genesis 15:13. The Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall go out with great possession. As for you, you shall go down to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age and they will come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So we see here that God says, your descendants are going to have this land, but not yet. You're going to be sojourners here. Then for four generations, you're going to be in captivity, and then you're going to come back. And so uh, this is the same promise that is given to Isaac, the same promise that's given to Jacob. And Joseph is aware of these promises. What I think is fascinating about Joseph uh, in Hebrews 11, in like the hall of fame of faith, you know, the it's we often think of like okay these are like the most significant things that they did and you would think for joseph you know like saving the entire world from a worldwide famine might be the thing that he gets credited for but no here's what he gets credited for by faith joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the israelites and gave directions concerning his bones this is something we find in genesis 50 joseph said to his brothers i'm about to die but god will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. That This is a sign of faith, because Joseph believed in the promises of God. He believed that they would leave Egypt, and that they would go to be in the land of promise. And so as we're leaving Genesis and we enter into the rest of the Pentateuch, Exodus is the book about leaving the land of captivity uh, to go to the land of promise, and then Numbers is a book about tra- you know they were going to go to the land of promise, but then they uh, were they were unfaithful, so they had to wander in the wilderness, and then Deuteronomy they get laws for how to go into the land, and then Joshua they enter the land and they take it, and so it's a a lot of passage about about the land, but you've noticed I I've skipped over one. Book of the Pentateuch, that being Leviticus. And you might think, well, Leviticus, that's just like a, a bunch of laws. Actually, I think Leviticus contains the most significant chapter, probably in the entire Bible, about the land promise. And that is Leviticus 26, uh, super underrated passage. And uh, I would read the whole thing to you if we had time, but we have three promises to get through this morning. So let me try and hit you with the highlights. Leviticus 26, it's going to give you a blueprint for the rest of what is going to happen in the Old Testament concerning the land promise. So, Leviticus 26, he says in verses 3 and 4, If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then... I will give you your rains and your seasons, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Verse six. I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. Verse eight. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall uh, before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you. I will confirm my covenant with you. Um, uh, Verse 12, he says, I will walk among you, I will be your God, and you shall be my people. So we get this idea that God says, if you follow me, things are going to go really well for you. Uh, We get Two important ideas here. One, uh, you think Joshua, uh, you know, five of you shall put to flight a hundred. A uh, hundred of you shall put to flight 10,000. That God was going to be with his people and they were going to clear out the land. They were going to be victorious against their enemies. They were going to be, they're going to dwell in peace. And dwelling in peace, of course, uh, remar- reminds us of. Another huge biblical theme that is connected to the land promise, and that is uh, the garden imagery of, you know, dwelling where God is, uh, which is picked up in, in verse 12, I will walk among you, I will be your God, and you shall be my people. We, of course, know the garden, Adam and Eve, they were in the garden, they got kicked out of the garden, then the whole Bible is trying to get back to God, and so we get this land where God is going to dwell among his people, and then they got kicked out of the land, We, we you know spoiler alert, and then... We have eventually a restoration of the land and then uh, as we look forward to new heavens, new earth, like this garden imagery and this land promise are connected because they are, they are connected in the sense of, of being where God is in a, a homeland prepared for them. And this is something that they will receive if they are faithful to God, but we know that they were not. And so God says, if you are not faithful, here's what's gonna happen. In the rest of, of uh, Leviticus 26, he says in verse 16, Uh, uh, If you don't listen to me, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it. Uh, sowing your seed in vain so your enemies will eat it. This, of course, you guys think of uh, uh, Judges chapter six, that this is how Gideon's story starts, that the Midianites uh, are in the land of Israel and that the, the Israelites are trying to sow their seeds and the Midianites are like, oh, you got food? And then they take it all. And there's this big imagery of futility. In fact, that's where we meet uh, Gideon. He's like stamping out wheat in the, it's, it's very funny. Okay, so we get this idea of God says, here's what's gonna happen, that does happen. Then, uh, verse nineteen, he says, "If if you still don't listen to me, I will break the pride of your power. I will give your heavens, uh, sorry, I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. The sky is not going to give you the what you need. The earth is not going to give you what you need. Of course, you think Ahab, uh, then." Verse 22, if you still don't listen to me, there's like seven different times where he's like, if you still don't listen to me, again, showing the the steadfast love, the uh, patience of God. 22, if you still don't listen to me, I will send wild beasts on you. 25, if you still don't listen to me, I will break your supply of bread. Um, Sorry, that's 26. I will bring the sword against you. You shall execute uh, vengeance for your covenant. I will gather you, and if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you. You shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. Uh, and they were delivered in the hand of their enemy. They were uh, sieged by Sennacherib, uh, by lots and lots of uh, of different enemies throughout their time. It was not good. Uh, Then if you still don't listen to me, uh, 29, you're going to resort to cannibalism, which we see happens in Lamentations 4. Uh, If you still don't listen to me, I am going to Verse 33, scatter you among the nations. I will unsheath my sword against you and your land shall be a desolation and your cities will be a waste. This is what we see. Well, actually, let me read one more verse there. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall have its rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. And so what we see here in Leviticus is the the whole story of the land promise that they were gonna they were gonna they had the land, they were gonna dwell in the land, then they got kicked out of the land and the land was going to be abandoned while it enjoyed its sabbath, which we see happens in Second Chronicles thirty six in Daniel chapter nine, it talks about this this period of time, and then they're gonna be brought back into the land in verse forty five, but I will for the for their sake. Remember the covenant with their forefathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. And this, of course, huge theme. The whole like second half of Isaiah, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, uh, Daniel 9 through 12, end of Obadiah, uh, Haggai, Zechariah, Ezra, Nehemiah, like huge theme coming back into the land. And so as we look through the book of uh, this chapter, In Leviticus we get to see the whole land promise the whole story of the Old Testament played out through the picture of the land promise and so you're asking okay well why is this significant for me and I think there's there's two answers to that first of all uh, I want you to think about the book about I want you to think about the book of Nehemiah often we think of Nehemiah as a book about building walls I think the book of Nehemiah is a book about the land promise And the reason I think that is because Nehemiah opens his book with a quotation from Leviticus 26 saying, I have seen these things happen, uh, that our, our walls have been destroyed, our cities have been made desolate. So he's like, okay, I recognize this as a warning sign. I know what's happening here. And so he, come, he turns back to God, and so the book of, of Nehemiah is, in addition to building walls, about rebuilding the people, about bringing the hearts of the people back to God so that they can continue to dwell in the land. And so what is powerful about this, and the same thing is true for the book of Lamentations, is that we can see by the way that God keeps his promises, both positive and negative, that uh, the promises that he will give them the land and also the promises that he will kick them out of the land if they are not faithful to him. When we see God doing exactly what he said he was going to do, then that is a sign to us that God is faithful, that he can be trusted. And so As we look through the whole Bible at the way that the land promise grows and grows and grows, we get time and time again uh, a, a basis to believe that God is trustworthy, that he keeps his promises. But there's a second thing, another really important thing about the land promise that we need to know, and that is that we also have a land promise. In John 14, we're told, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. We have a land waiting for us, just like the Israelites did, a promised land of hope. And so we also are recipients of the land promise in a a theological sense. And so there is Power in knowing that God can be trusted, that if we are faithful, we will receive the promised land. So, land promise. But second, back to Genesis chapter 12, I want to talk about the nation promise. Genesis chapter 12, again we'll start in verse one. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from, sorry, said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. So God says, If you do what I tell you to do, things are going to go well for you, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. But we run into some concerns pretty soon in the story of Abram, where he is concerned in chapter 15, starting in verse two, that uh, he has no children. And he's like, God, you told me that you were gonna make me a great nation, but I don't have any children. Verse three, and Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my house will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he... uh, And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. You're going to need to remember that in a second. So God said, I'm going to make you a great nation, Abram said, okay, I'm concerned. Are you, are, are you really? Because I don't have any children. God says, yes, I'm going to do it. And then we see he gets Ishmael. Then he gets Isaac, who, of course, we're coming back to in point three. Uh, he gets, uh, he, he marries Keturah. He gets Zimran, Jokshan, Midian, Midian, Ishmael, Shua. He has so many children. And from all of them come great nations. But, of course, we're interested in the one nation that comes out of, uh, out of Isaac. So Isaac uh, comes. Then Isaac has Jacob. Then Jacob has the 12 sons. And then the 12 sons, they go into captivity, uh, or their children go into captivity. And then they're there for four generations. And then they come out and they go into the wilderness. And what we see in the start of numbers is that all of those listed were 603,550. That's a huge number. And this number is given to us, again, uh, the f- The first chapter of Numbers is kind of like this. It's got a lot of genealogies, a lot of lists of names of people to show us that God is faithful. That God said, I will make a great nation of you. And already in the book of Numbers, we see God doing that with his people. And so uh, God makes a nation out of uh, Isaac, out of Abraham. But it's not just about the physical people. It's about a spiritual state as well, that these are people that God has chosen. He wants them to be special. He wants them to be a nation of priests. He wants them to be set apart. He wants them to be a people for his own possession. He talks in Deuteronomy many times in chapter four, chapter seven, chapter 10, chapter 14, that he has chosen Israel. He talks in 32 about uh, when all of the nations were split up between all of the sons of the gods, that Israel was God's chosen people. And so we see... Uh, that uh, they're supposed to represent God. They're supposed to be holy like he is. And they were given a sign in in Genesis 17 of of circumcision uh, to show that they were chosen people by God. They were supposed to be different. And yet they didn't. We see time and time and time and time and time again. They failed to do that. And so God says, uh, again, uber highlights, two passages in the Old Testament uh, that... God says, I'm going to make a change here. The first is in Ezekiel, where God says, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. See, again, we see land promise show up. But here, what we're interested in is that God is putting his spirit within the people to make them into a nation that represents himself that they have shown themselves incapable on their own to do this. And so God says, I am going to work with you to help you be what you're supposed to be. Second passage we see is in Amos, where God says, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, uh, sorry, and all the nations, yeah, who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. That... This passage, also, there's a lot going on here. But the important part is, is that latter half in, chapter, in verse 12. All the nations that are called by my name. God is expanding. It's not just the Jews. It's not going to be the Jews anymore when he raises up the, booth, the fallen booth of David. That the borders are expanding. That the nation of God is about to be redefined. And we see this happen in the book of Romans in a very clear passage where he says, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and you're like, what does that mean? So turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to explain this. Galatians chapter 3. Yeah, perfect. In Galatians 3, we get an explanation of the transformation of the nation promise from being an ethnic promise to a promise of children of faith. So in Galatians chapter 3, there we go. Starting in verse 5. So he's talking about uh, whether, they can be, whether they can appeal to God through the law alone or whether they need the Spirit. And he says in verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? It clearly, is by hearing with faith. Verse 6, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. I told you you'd have to remember that. That in, in uh, Genesis 15, Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. He says, when you hear with faith that you get to be like Abraham who believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then verse seven, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So he says, and as we saw, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. That's what he says in Romans. But here he, he, he says it a little bit differently. That it is those who are of faith that are sons of of Abraham. And it'll go on in, in Romans 9 to, to say something pretty similar about children of promise and uh, those who are truly uh, children are those who have who have faith, those who are uh, uh, appealing to, to God in that kind of way. And so what we see as the nation promise transforms from the Old Testament to the New Testament is still these same sorts of principles that, the, that holiness and representing God are important. In fact, in... Uh, in First Peter, we get to see these same kinds of things that were applied to Israel in the Old Testament applied to the church now. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That what we see is God choosing his people uh, and they are a special people, and now it is those who appeal to God by faith who, do, who are children of Abraham by faith, not children of Abraham through the flesh that get to be inheritors of the promise. And so what we, get, what we see here is that these, these promises to Abraham, this land and nation, they go into the New Testament as well. Seed promise, uh, and you guys probably know this one pretty well, uh, we'll turn back to Genesis, this time to Genesis 22, because this is where we get the, the famous uh, way of describing the seed promise. Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, after Abraham has just uh, almost sacrificed his son, Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, God appear, appears to Abraham, and he says, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. That he promises that through The descendant, descendant, uh, but also kind of descendants, it's a a whole different point. Through a descendant of Abraham, though all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we see it go from Isaac to uh, Jacob to Judah. And then the end of, uh, in Genesis 39 we see that the the scepter will never depart from the tribe of Judah. And then we see, as it goes into 2 Samuel chapter 7, which is for the seed promise, what uh, Leviticus 26 is for the uh, land promise, that God is going to choose David and that David's throne will be established forever. And And this, of course, we can trace because we understand that ultimately David alone, like you look at the things that David did, and in some ways he's amazing, in other ways he's a, he's a very sinful, flawed person like we all are. And you can see that David's throne did not last forever. It, it had an end and so there had to be something more. And in Ezekiel 40, uh, 34, in, uh, Isaiah 11, we see that there's, a, there's something coming, someone coming who is going to be a David, but even better than David. And so we're waiting for the fulfillment of the seed promise. And how does the New Testament begin? The very first verse of the New Testament, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He wants to make explicit, he is talking about the fulfillment of the seed promise. And so we get Jesus, the Nexus of all the most important themes of the Bible that who is God? Jesus is God. And what about the problem of sin and rebellion? Jesus is the solution to that problem. He is the seed promise, come to be a blessing to the whole world, come to give us access to be part of the nation of God. That's who Jesus came to be, and that is the seed promise. So let's come back to the question at the beginning. So what? Why do I care about this? And also, what about these passages? Uh, that we talked about these nine chapters of genealogies, big long sections of just describing the land. Well, all every single one of the people, you know, like I said, we read I don't know ten verses and we read about thirty people's names. So let's say in in nine chapters, we're talking like a thousand people. Every single one of them shows that God is faithful, that He said I will make a great nation of you, and He did. And when we read these chapters, we can see the faithfulness of God, that he does exactly what he says he's going to do. When he says he's going to make a nation, he makes a nation. And so we read these long sections and it can get boring to us, but when we see in them the faithfulness of God, when we see in them this theme growing through the Bible, then we can see the importance of them. And we can, again, uh, understand why we have to read this and why it's so important. Same thing with the land promise in the end of Joshua, we get long, long sections of all these places, and we 're like oh, i 've never heard of these places. Why do I have to read this? Well, he tells us at the end of this whole section uh, i didn 't put it in there uh, it, it didn't he tells us at the end of this whole long section uh, that all the promises of God came true, and that 's what we 're supposed to see it 's at the end of I think chapter twenty one uh, of of Joshua that None of the promises that God made failed, that every single one of them came true. That's what we're supposed to see when he shows us the land as it is fulfilled. So why should I care? One, it shows us that God is faithful, that he keeps his promises. Why do I care? Number two, that it helps us understand the shape of the Bible. That when we know that God is fulfilling the Abrahamic promises, when we can watch them grow through the Bible, then we have a place to put these stories so that we can see the larger narrative of what God is trying to accomplish. And finally, why do we care? It's because we inherit the promises. We have a land. We are the nation and we are blessed by the seed of Abraham. These are the promise to Abraham. This is why it's so important. Thank you so much for your time.